is a Woodside Church podcast. Now, there's loads of stories in 1 Samuel that you might know. You might know the story of David. Actually, this is 2 Samuel, but David and Goliath. You might know the story of Samuel listening for God and thinking it's a guy called Eli. And he says, speak, Lord, for your son and listening. But there's also lots of stories that you might not know. And what biblical theology seeks to do, it seeks to bring all the stories together, bring one narrative that will all enrich all of them. So we're going to really dig deep into this book. But to get the context, we need to look at where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Over the next 14 weeks, we're going to look at where we are in 1 Samuel. So I thought I'd touch on the where we've been and where we're going first. And really, biblical theology is the key to do that. And we're just going to look at one example quickly. We're going to look at Matthew 1. So already we're jumping out of 1 Samuel. I know it's a bit strange, but we're going to look at Matthew 1. Because if that quote is right and says that one of the main focuses of the Bible is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, then the books that talk about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is really important. Matthew 1 is the first one that does that. It's the first book in the New Testament. But it doesn't start with that. It starts with a really strange, complicated list of all the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. I'm not going to read them all out for you because I will not be able to say all the names. But what's fascinating is that the book that highlights potentially the most important part of the Bible doesn't start with that. It starts with all that's come before it. It's saying that the main focus is around Jesus but that there's all this stuff here that enriches the journey, that enriches the truth of this story, that actually shows the theme of the worship this morning was just faithfulness. All the songs are sung of Jesus' faithfulness, and this actually is a hint to what the faithfulness of the plan that is Jesus Christ. It ends with, Jacob, who was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. This is the start of Matthew 1, is a description of a messianic line that actually we see start in 1 Samuel. When we go in transition, we go to Saul, and we go to David, and this is a line that goes all the way from David to Jesus. So when we think of 1 Samuel, actually, this is so important. This is really important for us. So my question is, if we're going to look at this book, are we ready to sit up and take notice of the big story, what we might call the meta-narrative, or whatever we want to talk about, call it. There's a massive narrative that we are a part of, and we should sit up and take notice to the church. Is that okay? I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get into, get into it properly. Father, I thank you for this church, for every single person that is sitting in this room, that have joined our family together, the family that is united by you. And I thank you that your word is true. It shows your faithfulness that this story is one of great faithfulness to us. I thank you that we are able to be a part of it. What an honor. What an honor it is to be a part of this big story. And Lord, we just wanna, over the next, over this whole series, we just wanna sit at your feet and hear what you're saying to us. Lord, I pray you, for those who have read this loads, reveal new revelation to them, and for those who have never read this before, just bring your word afresh. Let them be excited about, the sto- about your word and about the stories we see in this book. Amen. 
Amen. So we are, I'm a very visual person, so we're going to be looking at a lot of timelines throughout this first part of the preach. And first, we're going to start with 1 Samuel, basically where we are currently going. Now, 1 Samuel, just to say, it's actually part of 2 Samuel as well. So when it was translated originally into, from something we called the Septuagint, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are the same, but they're split up in our Bibles because they didn't fit on one scroll. So when we look at 1 Samuel, we kind of also have to look at 2 Samuel a little bit, which we will, which we will do. And also, it's not like some of the New Testament books. Sometimes it's not named because Samuel specifically wrote it. Samuel did write some of it, but actually there will be lots of people that have contributed to this narrative um, in 1 1 and 2 Samuel. But it's named after 1 and 2 Samuel because he is one of the main characters and really starts off the story we see. That is where we are, just a brief bit. But if we take a zoom out, we then see we've come from Judges and Ruth, and we go into 1 and 2 Kings. Okay? So... What we're going to be talking about all the way through this series is that 1 Samuel represents a change in the tide for Israel. But that means it has to be going from somewhere. And that is where Judges and Ruth come in. It represents a time where actually there was a lot of political chaos. The leadership was a little bit... It wasn't, the leadership wasn't like the surrounding areas. So those in Israel were kind of looking behind their back going, those guys, they have a king. These guys are doing it differently to us. But actually, in this transition, they were in... A, a, a real bit of issues there. There were lots of good stuff. If you read Judges and Ruth, there's lots of good stuff. But actually, it, we're coming from a place of chaos into 1 and 2 Samuel. That's where we're transitioning from. And then we go to 1 and 2 Kings, which is coming after 1 and 2 Samuel, where we see the unification of the tribes of Israel. And actually, we start 1 and 2 Kings documents the start of the Messianic line that we saw introduced at the start of Matthew 1 that starts from the transition. So we've gone from Chaos, transitioning through 1 and 2 Samuel, and then 1 and 2 Kings is the start of the story after this transition. So we've taken a zoom out there. It's really cool. Let's zoom out again, though, because if we want to get context, we need to get bigger context. We'll take a zoom out. So we're going to go back all the way back to the start. I love when Sarah talked about what it says about God's faithfulness all the way in Genesis. And actually, we have started at creation and the Garden of Eden in the beginning. And within that narrative, there's a verse in it's Genesis 3.15. And it prophesies Jesus' victory. Okay, it says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. If you're, if, if you're into your theology, you might know this as the Proto-Evangelon, but basically, this is the first proclamation of the gospel. This is the first point in the Bible where we see that there is good news coming. And this, right at the start, we get a point of hope that Jesus is going to be victorious. And that's the start. We see Jesus' victory prophesied, that he will be on the throne. And within context, it goes to 1 and 2 Samuel, where we see the transition, Saul and then David on the throne. There's some verse references if we want to look at afterwards. But if we take out a zoom out again, remember creation and Garden of Eden, because that's going to go off the screen. But we go all the way over here. So we've seen Jesus' victory prophesied. We're in 1 and 2 Samuel. And then we go to the Gospels and Acts, where we see this good news start to become reality. So I've seen reality prophesied, reality started, and then we see it actually enact, okay? Let me just zoom down. We see Jesus come to earth, be a perfect example, live a life of no sin, die, resurrect, and then he leaves us a gift, the Holy Spirit. What Ruth was was partnering with today, this morning, as he was praying for people, was the Holy Spirit. And that was a gift that Jesus left for us after he died and defeated sin and death, which was prophesied all the way back at the start. 
Do you see how this is linking together? We're seeing the start prophesied, the start of the plan with the line of David, and it coming to pass. Let's take another zoom out, though, because that's not the end of the story. So we've got creation in the Garden of Eden, we've got one and two Samuel, we've got the Gospels and Acts, and then we've got our lives. See, just at the start of this series, one thing to remember is no matter what transition, the transition we see in one one and two Samuel means that God is on the throne for our lives today. See how this timeline is, is coming together? The theme is friendship. Jesus' victory is prophesied. It was destined from the start. Saul and David was on the throne. God was on the throne, and God is still on the throne today. And the promise that we see all the way back in Genesis is that that's going to be for eternity. This is starting to make sense. This is, the, this is the narrative that we're going to be looking at over the next 14 weeks. I don't know, I just get really excited about this stuff. Like, I just, I, it's so cool. And over Christmas, you will have definitely heard this verse. We did it on our carol services. And it's Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. And it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. This is what we've looked at at Christmas all the way through our series. And here it links to 1 Samuel because as his rule, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. 1 and 2 Samuel is the stories where we see David introduced. This is the transition we're going to, and it makes way for all the other stuff beyond into Gospels and Acts and our lives today, and it was prophesied right from the start. That's exciting to me. That's really exciting. So we're focusing on 1 Samuel for the whole series, but what we need to remember is where we've come from, what's been promised, and where we're going. There's a faithfulness that goes all the way through. That's what biblical theology shows us. There's narratives, there's loads of narratives in that, but that enriches it because of the one idea that goes all the way through, and we can be confident that is faithfulness from Jesus. So we're going to enter into the narrative. I know that that might have seemed a little bit off-piece, but I think that's an important foundation for us as a series because this is the significance of the book that we're entering into. So, so really, in 1 and 2 Samuel, we have five themes Okay, we'll go, go through them quickly, then we'll unpack them a little bit. But the five themes we've got that the other speakers will unpack is the throne. We've already seen that theme kind of go across our timeline. We've got covenants, which is the promise of the Messianic line. And actually, we sung loads about God's faithfulness and promises this morning. God's really on this, I believe, for us, church. We've got a place of dwelling. That's a really interesting one that the series is going to unpack. The voice of God and the timing of God. I mean, these are five really exciting themes, and we will be able to track all the way through. It's going to be really exciting. But we're going to unpack it together now. We're going to unpack these five themes. And the first one is the throne, because actually, if we're going to look at the start of 1 Samuel, we're joining out the transition, and Israel were not happy with Samuel's sons as judges. So Samuel was the last main judge. Basically, the people in Israel say, you're getting too old. We need someone new. He hands over to his sons. And his sons weren't really at it. They were quite sinful. Um, but also part of the story is that they were looking behind their back and said, the grass looks greener over there. We want a king like them. We want someone who looks like a king that can win these battles. We see a lot of battles come through. But the theme of the throne is that although there were many detailed power imbalances prior, this is the first time we really see human kingship explored in the Bible. 
which is interesting because in requesting a move from judgeship to kingship, Israel are kind of saying, God, we don't want you as king anymore. And Samuel, who was a really faithful man to God, who was a prophet, um, who was the last kind of key judge, he takes this to God and says, God, they're asking for a king, but this is not what you want, and it's not the thing. And God says, do everything they say to you, for they're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them. This is really interesting, because Israel did not see God as the king they required. They wanted someone physical that looked like a king. It's not the right way. But actually, what I found amazing is that despite, despite recognizing it was a wrong decision, both Samuel and God honor the one of the people. These are two people. Samuel is in line with God's word, and God is God. But they honor the one of the people. For us, though, as we look at this, how often do we reject God because someone close to us is doing something that outwardly looks better? How many times do we have, do we make gods in our life because of something that looks great, something that maybe feels great, but actually is not in line with God? That's a real challenge for me, and that's a challenge that we'll see all the way through the series. Actually, Israel was a people that God had saved, and God was with already, and still they didn't recognize him as God. But God and Samuel honored the one of the people. And that brings us into our next theme, which is the theme of covenants. You see, God allowed his people to exercise their free will, not only in saying they wanted a king, but also they described who they wanted, like, who they wanted as king. They wanted someone that looked like a king, was tall, big, and could win physical battles, basically. And that is what Saul was. So we're introduced to our next key character. We've seen Samuel. We're going to Saul. And Saul is the guy. Okay, here's the one they want. In 1 Samuel 8, it says, the Israelites say, even so, we want a king. We want a king like the other nations around us. Our king will judge us and to lead us into battle. They don't, want, they don't really mind about the heart. They don't really mind about the behind the scenes. They want something that looks good and that's going to be really physical, basically. And that's what Saul is. Um, and admittedly, Saul starts off okay. They do, win the, they do win a few battles and there will be a few preachers on that. Um... But it wasn't what was right. We see that God says it's not the right thing. However, despite that, it was still, what do we have there? It was still where the promise of the Messianic line begins. So even in a time where the people weren't doing what God wanted, God still worked through it. God still worked and said, actually, this is going to be the time that the promises will be fulfilled from Genesis into our lives. Really peculiar set of circumstances, but God is still working. And take heart from that. That's really important. You see, God promised that David's line would continue eternally on the throne. The question is, it's, it's not the, the, a line from David is not the physical king of Israel right now, but actually let's recognize that the eternal Jesus is on the eternal throne at the right hand of the Father. God keeps his promises even when it comes out of circumstances that are uh, an understatement, but really not ideal. So when we look at covenants all the way through, I can't remember who is unpacking this one specifically, but God keeps them. God is faithful. He is more reliable than anyone else that makes promises in our life. And we can stand firm in saying, God said this, it's going to come to pass. This is a real theme that we see unpacked. And actually the next theme is a bit more of a technical one. It's God's place of dwelling. Now in 1 Samuel, We'll, again, we'll unpack it again in the future. 
There's something called the Ark of the Covenant. And this is really heavily featured throughout. Okay, the Ark of the Covenant represents the place where God dwells. That's what we're talking about in simple terms. They bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle to try and help them win. The Ark of the Covenant is captured, moved around, is actually the catalyst for curses and plagues, brought back. But then it's central to the unification of the tribes. In 2 Samuel, we see David bring all the tribes together. He puts the Ark of the Covenant on the border between the north and the south where there was rivalry and says, this is going to be the place where I dwell. Actually, they built the temple, and that is now what we know as Jerusalem. So not only in 1 Samuel do we see the promises start to be fulfilled, but we see the, almost a central place for Christianity being birthed. And it's birthed from unity, and it's birthed from God's place of dwelling, which I think is so beautiful. Okay. The interesting thing is, though, that the Ark of the Covenant is the place where some curses happen and some plagues happen. So God's presence does not always guarantee perceptually great things. That's a real challenge. But it does guarantee that God is present through those things. And that they will eventually lead to good things. Sometimes, you know when you're going through a really hard time and you go, but I don't really understand God's, you know, Hudson said that God is with me and then all this stuff is, all this really tough stuff is happening. That can be really a real battle, real battle in our minds of where is the goodness of God in my life right now? But this offers us hope because although there's tough stuff happening around this, coupled with the fact that God is faithful and God always comes through, God's presence is still a place where we want to be. We want God with us. And really, another question that comes when we talk about the place of dwelling is that, is God dwelling with the people? Because Israel pick a, pick a person in Saul that probably looks like God is dwelling with him. He's big, he's strong. This is the one that God anointed. Um, that is a real challenge for us. But actually what we see as the narrative unfolds is that David is the one that God is with. We know that David is a man after God's own heart. Physically, he probably doesn't look, look like he is. You'll probably guess that Saul is. But actually, God is dwelling not only in places, but with people, even more so with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we need to seek that out. And as people that God dwells within, we still need to seek him and push into the where he is dwelling, where God's presence is. And where, where God's presence is, we often find the voice of God, which is our fourth theme. See, not only was David a man after God's own heart, but he was a man who heard the voice of God and was confident in acting on it once he heard. That's a real challenge for I'm, And there's, I know I'm just bringing loads of challenges, but how often do you hear the voice of God and go, okay, yeah. And then you kind of just, maybe you'll write it down in a journal. But actually, like you just forget about it. Like I'm, I do this all the time. A theme we see all the way through 1 Samuel is that people hear the voice of God, are confident in its, in its power, and act on it. When Samuel first sees David, he hears in 10 seconds, this is going to be the king. This is going to be the greatest king of Israel. Samuel, David were people that heard the voice of God, were confident in its power, and acted on it. That's really important. As we go through this series, Remember that. This is also a moment where people become confident in the voice of God. And actually what's really interesting is that people became confident in the voice of God when actually it was also a time we see in 
chapter 3, verse 1, that it was also a time where God was, seemed to be silent. But still, people were confident in his word. Interestingly, there's a question that comes, comes about. It says, was God quiet? Were the Israelites not listening? Or did God not say anything as their hearts were in the wrong place? I'm not gonna, I don't really have the answer for that. But that's a really interesting question I just kept on remembering through while preparing this. And actually, it's in that question where David, where, huh, where Samuel's position became really important. Because when Samuel had the voice of God, he had to go, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel invited him in. I think that's really important for us. When we gather on Sundays, how often are we asking God to just speak? Do we expect him to speak? I think we can expect him to speak, but actually our position is important. We want to sit at his feet and go, God, what are you saying for me and for my community? And actually, when this happened, when Samuel first heard the voice of God, he was probably 12. This isn't even an adult thing. This is a this is a kids' work and youth thing that is carried all the way through. And this really excites me because Samuel heard the voice of God when he was this small and still knew to act on it because of the way it carried. I think we've probably lost something in the voice of God, but this restores my hope and says actually God speaks to everyone and everyone can act on it. And as someone who oversees the youth, that's a real challenge to me as well. How much are we seeking the voice of God? And the last theme alongside the voice of God is the timing of God. You see, we saw that God spoke to Samuel and said, David is the one. He said that in 10 seconds. But how long did that, did that word take to come to pass? It took 10 years to even be David to be slightly king of Israel. And even in that moment, he wasn't even king of all the tribes. God spoke in 10 seconds, but it took 10 years to come to pass. And then another seven years for it to all be fulfilled. That's a real, that's a real lesson for us as well. When God speaks, he could do it instantly. But actually, what does it require? David is a great example. He's in constant conversation with God about his calling, what that looks like, and the timing of it. It's a lesson in not forgetting what God's saying, because actually it might, it might take 25 years, but it will happen. And even in a time when David thought, actually, this looks like the time I'll actually go be king, what does he do? He goes off, prays, God, is this definitely the right time? Is this in line with what you want? Not what Israel requires, but what you want. And the timing of God, all the way through 1 Samuel, what does it show us? It shows us that despite the waiting, God is still faithful, and God keeps his promises. Ruth said all his promises are yes and amen. That's truth. We talked about great is your faithfulness. That's truth. There were other songs that said it, but I can't remember. Goodness of God, that is truth. All my life you have been faithful. The Israelites could sing this, could sing that song just like we can. In fact, everyone on that timeline could sing that because that's a promise that goes all the way through. And those five themes, we need to remember these five themes. We're going to look at that in a second. But we need to remember these five themes because these are the ones that go all the way through, that are the narrative all the way through, and that all the wonderful preachers after me are going to unpack in more detail. Um, and that's going to be so good. Just before we finish, though, I want to just quickly compare the three main characters that we've looked at already. Samuel, Saul, and David. I love a mind map. I really love a mind map. So we're going to do it with a mind map. 
And we're going to first look at Samuel, because there's a really interesting, I guess, sick theme, even though I didn't write it down, that comes about. Now, Samuel, as we know, he, tra- he trained as a priest. So he was born to parents that were barren, that couldn't have children. And in the end, Hannah said, God, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And this looked like them having a child. Samuel was a miracle baby. And they said, actually, God, we give him back to you. So he went to train under a man called Eli and become a priest. So that's one of the things that Samuel did. He was trained as a priest, but also amongst that, he became a prophet because he was someone who heard the voice of God and acted upon it. The first, the first voice, the first bit of God's voice that he heard was massive. It wasn't like just one of the, just an encouraging thing that is really good that might, maybe we might start to train people up with in youth. He heard about Eli's family, about how they're actually going to go on a bit of a downfall. Some really tough stuff. That was the first time God spoke to Samuel, but he was a prophet. And you know what? He constantly, from that moment, took the posture of asking God what he was saying because he wanted to serve him. We also know that he was kind of the last judge or the last significant judge from the theme of judges and brought in the kingship that Israel required. That's Samuel. We can then move on to Saul. And well, from that transition, Saul was the first king. He was the first king of Israel. He won a few battles, and really we know that he looked like a king as well because he was big and he was strong. And actually, he was quite, because of that, he was quite likely. He didn't come from humble beginnings, but actually he was around like the higher standard of people around Israel anyway. He was always in amongst it. He was a likely person to become king. But in that, actually we see in the story of Saul, he becomes proud he becomes jealous. There's a moment where he says, I don't want to lose this position because this is important. And this guy called David is rising up as Saul is going down. David is rising up and Saul goes, actually, bring David close to me in my job so eventually I can, kind of, I can kill him off. I don't want anyone to threaten my position because I am the king. Saul was jealous of David's success. And that was not a good feature. And what asked about Saul? Saul also heard the voice of God but he actively went against it. At points he tried to one-up God. He didn't act on it. That is not what we want to do. We don't want to be like Saul and hear the voice of God and not act on it. We want to hear it, we want to seek it, and then we want to act on it and see it come to pass. And that's Saul. And then we've got David. Now David, compared to Saul, Saul was the first king, but David's known as Israel's most influential or greatest king. David is... David, at this point in the Bible, David is the guy, okay? We've got David, who was the greatest king. We know he was a man after God's own heart. And when Saul was, well, Saul was likely, David wasn't. David was a shepherd boy. And when Samuel came around to try and find the king, he, he wasn't even presented. All of David's brothers were presented, because he was the youngest one. He was left to look after the sheep. He was the most unlikely person in, the, in that scenario, but the one that God wanted. We know that he was prayerfully patient. We've seen that, constantly in, in touch with God, constantly asking about his calling, and he was a man who clearly heard, delivered, and acted upon the voice of God. In other words, he was also a prophet. Now, you can look at all these characteristics. Actually, they all have good stuff. Do you want to do the next slide? All the stuff in yellow are really good characteristics. As we saw, that, we saw that Saul was king, Samuel was a priest and a prophet, David was also king and a prophet. 
But none of them fulfilled everything that Israel needed. And this is where we're just coming into land a little bit. You see, Israel needed a prophet, a priest, and a king. You've got it. Jesus. You see, none of them were fulfilled by the main characters, but all of them were fulfilled by Jesus. God, who Israel failed to recognize as king, had all these characteristics, and even though they rejected him at the start, God was still faithful. Again, we see the theme of faithfulness all the way through, and God fulfilled these needs. We see Jesus called many things all the way through the Bible, and these three feature massively. See, God sent Jesus down to earth. When he was on earth, he was a prophet, he was a priest, and he is the king. And it was this eternal king that came from the line of David that we saw started, just as promised and prophesied in Genesis, right in the beginning in creation. And it was the eternal king who by dying on the cross and defeating death in the Gospels and Acts, made an eternal relationship possible for us, just as Jesus prophesied. We see the timeline coming through. This is, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what Israel needed, of what we as the people of God needed, and was the fulfillment of the prophecy all the way at the, all the, way at the start that will continue all the way through. You see the themes that are to come through? I think this is just so beautiful. Is there a timeline that's Elijah? This is what we looked at at the start. 1 Samuel, these themes, these needs of the people of God actually reveal something about this story. Maybe in creation of the Garden of Eden, people didn't know, when, from that on, people didn't know what they needed. But actually Jesus fulfilled, and from then on for eternity, this is true. This is faithfulness. I think this is just so good. The Bible, not, not specifically me, but the Bible and what it's saying to us. And so for the rest of the series, what should we remember? What's going to serve you guys really well? I'm not going to be down here. I'll probably be up at youth. But what's going to serve you guys really well in remembering for the rest of the series? We've seen the small narratives unlock the big narratives. So what can we unpick out from here that is important? Well, the three things, guys, you need to remember that Jesus fulfills. Not only in 1 and 2 Samuel, but today. If this is the same God, Jesus fulfills. We also need to remember that God is faithful. God is faithful. That is good. I mean, if I only said to you, God is faithful, and then walked off the stage, that would still be good news, right? And the last one, God provides. And what do, what, what do all of these things come under? Come over the next slide. See, Jesus fulfills the throne in being on it. He fulfills the covenant. He becomes God's presence amongst the people. He delivers the voice of God, and he represents the perfect timing of God. Jesus fulfills this is what we need to remember. God is faithful in the throne. He provides Jesus. He provides victory. He keeps his promises all the way from Genesis onto eternity. God provides a place of dwelling, provides his voice, and has perfect timing. Sometimes it can feel like God's timing is wrong, but I promise you it's not. He is faithful in his timing. And what does God provide? God provides a king. God provides a covenant that we can cling on to. He provides a place of dwelling. He provides his voice, and he provides perfect timing. This is really good news. 
This is, if you guys remember just this slide, if you, even if you forget all the rest, if you just remember this slide, that Jesus fulfills, God is faithful and God provides, that is the most important because it's the same God in 1 and 2 Samuel that it is now. For our situations, let me tell you today that Jesus fulfills your needs. I don't know what they are, I don't know everyone's needs, but I promise you that Jesus fulfills and that in that God is faithful. I think the song of the goodness of God, it says, with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. That means that sometimes we'll be in a position where it's really hard to sing, really hard to recognize his faithfulness. But actually, God is faithful. And lastly, this morning, know that whatever situation you're in, God provides, even if it feels a little bit chaotic. That's what, was, that's what we came from. That's what we're entering 1 and 2 Samuel into. It feels chaotic, but God, this is a story where God provides. Cling on to that. I want, you, I want that, those words just to minister to you. Yeah, Jesus, I thank you that this story is so vast, perfectly put together, but so personal. I thank you that your victory was prophesied and promised all the way from the start and that gives us hope a hope of faithfulness that carries all the way through to our lives today and beyond and Lord just as we rest here as a family for five minutes Lord just remind us about your character that you fulfill that you are faithful and that you provide Lord give everyone here what they need this morning We want to hear your voice this morning and onwards. We want to worship you this morning and onwards. And we just give this next time to you. Just as we have done all the way through the service, we give this next time to you. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.